The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. 30-odd years ago, a recycling pioneer began in Ōtaki when a mayor saw the waste going into landfill and thought there had to be a better way. Over the years, that company, Matter, has helped divert 60 million-plus tonnes from landfill and innovated new methods of recycling and production and turning things like tyres and road cones into safety matting for workplaces and playgrounds. Today, they export all over the world and are still leading the way in new methods and approaches. Managing Director Brent Harris is leading up and representing the third generation to be involved in the business, and he joins us now to chat the journey and where they're heading next. Tanakwe, thank you for being here, Brent. Thanks for having me, Simon. Good to be here. Hey, so tell me about your background uh, before heading into business, as you were a musician and a lawyer. I was, yeah, a musician and a lawyer. So I'm, I'm on to my third vocation now. Um, so I'm 35 years old, so probably, you know, I've been moving through a fair amount. Um, but yes, I, you know, outside of sort of high school, I, I kind of went headfirst into the music world. Um, you know, music was very much a passion of mine um, growing up, and I was totally distracted by it through high school. It kind of took precedence over everything else, sort of much to my teachers' and parents' dismay in many ways. Um, and yeah, so I, I got into music, playing the drums actually with with a bunch of friends, and you know we started a band called Cut Off Your Hands, and we, um, you know, we're kind of a punk guitar band, um, and spent you know the next kind of five or six years of you know my early twenties um, touring the world and um, releasing music and um, and doing all things music. So it was yeah a, a fantastic time and part of my life for sure. The full rock star experience, eh? like. <laughs> Kids together, getting together, like making some songs, getting pick up, getting management, going overseas, like touring America, the whole the whole bit. Yeah, yeah, we we had a really great run. I mean, you know, I think any band is sort of there's always a band out there that's doing bigger and better things than you. But you know, we were really um, we were really stoked with what we were able to do. I think just you know, as as friends and as a group of people, a collective, being able to travel the world and play music and get paid to do it was, you know, we kind of felt like we'd won the lotto, really. Um, You know, and so it was a fantastic experience for us. What were the pinch-me moments in that journey? Oh, look, I think there was a number of pinch-me moments. I mean, um, you know, playing playing to big crowds. We played some really awesome festivals over the years, you know, the Big Day Arts and... um, uh, um, we played a, a festival in Japan, I forget the name of it now, but, you know, Japan, through Europe, Australia, the States, just, you know, all those really pinched me moments. We got to work with some awesome producers as well, which, again, you know, um, was a really fantastic moment. And you're working with these people who have worked with the greats, you know, in these, like, fantastic studios, and you're like, wow, that's just amazing being a part of it. So, yeah, there's plenty of pinched me moments. And then you went from international rock stardom 
to being a lawyer. <laughs> tell yeah, me, why tell did me I about do that. <laughs> tell, tell me about that. Yeah, well, look, you know, we were um, as as a band. You know, we, we kind of really took on that DIY mentality. So, and especially in the early years, we were booking our own tours. You know, organizing our own recordings, um, just making it happen. And it was that sort of kind of DIY. Um, mentality that I really loved about being in music and you know um, I think first and foremost like good music should always like um, precede or, or come before any kind of kind of commerce or commercial reality but that that part of being in, in the music business I, I found really enjoyable um, including spending a fair amount of time with lawyers you know going through recording contracts and you know management agreements and even negotiating your own like shareholder agreements with your own buddies and stuff and I kind of saw the real sort of power of law in that process um, and that kind of gave me a real appeal toward it um, it probably a little bit, you know, uh, law, you know, music is quite, you know, the more introspective, contemplative world. And, and then going into law, which is, you know, and commercial law, which is what I did, um, it was quite a far away from it. But I'm not sure what it was. I think it was a sort of the, the groundedness of law and society, much like music as it moves with time. And, and that really appealed to me. Probably the other thing was I bombed high school entirely because I was so distracted with playing the drums <laughs> that I wanted to prove, my, prove to myself that I, could, um, that I could do something like a law degree. And it was just like that kind of, that real itch to study and learn, you know. I love, um, love that, man. And love that there's that creative link from, uh, you, you know, being in the band and that stuff being so important to enabling you to, be creative and express yeah. yourselves and live yeah. the lives you want. Because you're pretty young when you were doing all that in the first push of the band, eh? Yeah, yeah, I was pretty young. I mean, I think we, you know, we started travelling when I was like 19. Um, we were living in England around the time I was 21. And then, you know, the next few years were just doing a lot of travel. And, you know, creativity is an interesting thing. I, I kind of, I can't remember who said, I've quoted this one a few times and I, I shouldn't say it now because I'm probably misquoting it, but I think it was like Brian Eno or someone who says, um, you know, that art, who says art should stop at the edge of the canvas. And I like to think of, you know, I think of creativity a bit like that and, and how, um, you know, it kind of transcends everything. And, you know, whether you're doing a law degree or, you know, um, or you're a musician or you're a teacher or whatever it is that you do. I think there's a way to creatively express yourself in many ways. And, um, and yeah, so I somehow made that tenuous link into law, you know, as a musician. Yeah. Yeah, and you must have had your head screwed on pretty well to be looking after all that stuff because I'll bet there's lots of 19 to 21-year-olds who are living the rock star life who, who, who don't have their head screwed on so well. Yeah, look, I mean, I think part of it was we, you know, I was surrounded by good people, like the guys in my band who are still great friends today. They were just fantastic people. So we, we, looked, we looked out for each other. You know, we all took our detours down into, you know, life and doing our own things. But um, at the end of the day, I think there was, you know, we had some strong accountability towards one another. And we all kind of had similar values and were looking, you know, had similar goals, you know, and that really helped keep us all in check. Um, you know, and yeah, just had good people around me. I think it's super important in life, no matter where you're at, you know. And into the business matter, yeah. with a family connection, yeah. tell me about what got you to move from law and how was law going and into the company? Yeah, well, law, um, 
law was going relatively well for me. I, I, I did well in, you know, in my studies and I went and moved um, to a, a large kind of commercial law firm down in the city um, where I was working in intellectual property and that's the music thing kind of pushed me down that path of IP law. Um, and it was going well, you know, the legal, a legal career is, is a, it's a well-formed path, but it's not a walk in the park. And um, and really, you know, it takes a lot of time to kind of get your confidence up and to kind of get the skills and experience that you need to, to really become effective. And I'd say, you know, at that stage, I was starting to get some points on the board. And, um, and you know, but ultimately, I was always really interested in business. And that kind of came out through, you know, my upbringing. My father was a businessman. Um, and then doing the music thing, I was really interested in business through that. And really, um, the, the law world was just putting me in this really high-performance environment where I could learn a lot about business um, through, you know, great clients and also really awesome, you know, operators within the legal practice as well. So for me, um, that was a really good building block for me to learn um, about what it took to, to kind of to do well and to perform in that commercial world. Um, and then the business thing came about was, so my father was running Matter Products at the time and he, um, he became sick with cancer in about 2016. And so that was when he approached me as like, son, <laughs> what do you want to do? Do you want to come across and, and um, help me run this business? And, you know, he had no intentions of dying at that point in time, but he was sick. And when it became clear that he was really sick, I thought, you know what, I'm going to like, I'm going to jump into this. Um, there's a, a sort of legacy to the business, which just really pulled me into it. It wasn't easy leaving law because, it, you know, it'd been a lot of work that went into getting there um, and a lot of sacrifice by me. But, you know, my wife was really supportive for the studies and, you know, student loans and all that kind of stuff. But, um... But ultimately, um, yeah, the, the pull of business was was pretty strong, and I was just really lucky to have that that opportunity, you know, in my life. And that grounding of law, mm. the way that you think and understand the kind of you know the contracts and the things that base things and negotiations and um, <laughs> how to set things up well, is super useful through everything else in in commercial world. Hey? Yeah, one hundred percent. I think um, you know. Uh, what you learn in a law degree and then practicing as a lawyer is not, you know, obviously there's the legal side of things, you know, you know what, a, what a contract looks like and there's the technical side of legal practice. But, you know, it's that sort of way of thinking, you know, that really helped me, um, kind of gave me a bit of a playbook or um, a process for dealing with problems and, um, and for yeah, tackling issues and, and for thinking and for processing, you know, and, and in business, you kind of, you need, to, you're holding a lot of things together at the same time and, and having some sort of methodology to be able to kind of hold these things together and, um, and to process it all. You know, I found kind of a legal, a legal background was quite helpful for that and is helpful for that. Tell me about Matter and how it came to be and how your family came to be involved in it. Yeah, sure. So Matter, um, as, as you said in your intro, is now 30 years old this year, actually. Um, so it was founded by a man named Murray Scott. And Murray was, he was a legend, really, a real pioneer of his time. Um, you know, he had a real community focus. As you mentioned, he was, he was the mayor of Otaki, um, but was also just a raging entrepreneur. I think Matter, by the time Matter came around, it was his third or fourth business, I believe. Um, and... 
Yeah, so he saw, you know, the need for employment in Ōtaki. Um, he saw, you know, he had this vision for recycling. At, at the time, you know, I think um, there was only about 14% of councils were even doing roadside collections at the time. So it really was not, recycling really was not in the mainstream at all. But Murray had this idea that you could take recycled plastics and turn it into a product. So he had a company called um plastics granulators before matter, and that was really going along and getting old milk bottles and, and turning them into different types of products, flower pots and all sorts of things. Um, so he eventually um, saw the idea of taking waste PVC, flexible PVC, um, you know, and PVCs, it, uh, you know, if you look at the gutters around homes, that's a rigid PVC, flexible PVC is, um, as the name implies, you know, bendy and, you know, like wire cables would be an example of that. So he saw this... Um, opportunity to take that type of PVC and then convert it into safety surfacing. Um, I think his first product was around standing worker type scenarios, so people, you know, standing for long periods of time getting sore knees. So he designed this tile that had these anti-fatigue benefits, and that was really the beginning. And then um, through that, he um, kind of moved into the playground surfacing industry and really just slowly built the company from there. Um, and so how my family came to be involved was, um, so my father was actually an accountant around the, t you know, sort of at my age now. And um, Murray had got himself into a bit of um, business strife. And so my, my old man went into bat to help him out with some things. And, you know, um, Murray was a radically generous guy. And he ended up giving my dad and his business partner some machinery to start another plastics recycling business. And long story short, um, they ultimately found their way back into Matter and um, ended up buying the company off Murray. Um, and so Murray and his son, Tim, who's actually still with the business today, um, works with us. And um, Murray retired and, and my old man took it on and, and then ran it for the next sort of 20 years or so. That's so cool. And like circular economy thinking is so important and such a big conversation right now, right? Mm. But this is like a circular business 30 years ago doing it just because it thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about like the those matting solutions that, you know, had the anti-fatigue benefits and the playground. If you've ever walked on like a spongy playground, it's mm. that kind of stuff, hey. So what do you do? Like find like tyres mm. and see all these tyres going into landfill and go... I'm sure we can do something better with those. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. That was the vision. Um, you know, there's a funny story of Murray taking, you know, recycled plastic that he'd gathered from trash cans and stuff and cooking it up in his oven at home and, you know, burning the kitchen down. <laughs> um, you know, so it was that real kind of, you know, that real pioneering um, mentality that he took to it. And, yeah, matter is, um, has, is built on, uh, on a, recyc a recycled supply chain. And so it's not just a veneer to the company. It's not just something we talk about because people like to hear it. It's something that's actually it's what keeps our business going, and, it, and it's basically you know, the fundamentals of our business model. And so, yeah, for Murray to have had that kind of vision for it back in a time when um, recycling was not in the vernacular or in the conversation, it was, yeah, pretty, pretty massive. And how did the company and your your old man and, and, and Murray, how did they build it out overseas? As being an exporter from New Zealand, from mm. Ōtaki, of, 
heavy things, you know, like rubber matting and stuff. Yeah. Like that's expensive and hard and building out kind of a, a market for something like, you know, if you think back to what playgrounds were like when we were growing up, like there weren't safety mats anywhere. It was rocks and bark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, totally. How do, you, how do you build out like, I guess, a market for safer playground surfaces and then export it with recycled materials from New Zealand? Yeah, well, um, yeah, there's, I mean, a lot of things that had to be done and had to be done right to make it all happen. Um, you know, the, the playground surfacing industry then was, you know, a relatively, like a sunrise industry, as, you, as you're describing. You know, um, you know, a lot of people used to, at that time, would have been, yeah, playing on dirt floors and concrete slabs and grass <laughs> and, and all of that. And, you know, um, so the playground surfacing came about, it's sort of, it's never been designed to, stop kids from getting hurt per se, but what it really has been designed to do is to stop kids from having um, head injuries that, you know, debilitating head injuries that can affect them for the rest of their life. So um, we like to think our surfacing doesn't stop kids really from getting hurt, but it does stop, it really does um, minimise the chances of really severe injury. Um, so it, it encourages and empowers kids to play. And so that was really, that was really the goal of it. And um, yeah, and then exporting this heavy product, you know, our towels, three kgs. So you think about, um, you know, even just having to move a lot of that product overseas is um, not def- is not an easy thing. Matter was a fundamentally started on a distribution model, as as in the beginning years. And so Murray went out, and and my old man went out, and established some really great relationships with distribution partners, and you know, at a time when the industry was kind of birthing and new, um, and people really got excited about it. And so through those relationships, we were able to start getting our product into marketplaces, you know, thousands of miles and oceans away from Otaki, which was, yeah, pretty, pretty exciting times, I believe, for the company. Awesome. And we'll be back in a moment with Brent Harris to hear where matters going next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. So tell me about where the company is today. Um, what's the kind of footprint and what kind of stuff are you up to at the moment? 
So Meta today, you know, we're proud to say that we're still manufacturing out of Oteki. Um, we have our headquarters up here in Auckland where we look after our, you know, finance and marketing and, and management. Um, about 75% of our revenue is um, from exports. So our, our key markets today are in, in California, um, in, the, in the playground surfacing market in California. Um, we're selling into England. Um, we sell to other parts of North America as well, Canada and the East Coast, um, and as well as Australia, which is another key market of ours that we're pushing into. And the other sort of 25% is from our kind of local sales here in New Zealand, mostly in the, in the playground surfacing industry. So that's kind of our spread. You know, we're, um, we're not a large company. We have about 30 full-time employees and then, you know, maybe another 20, 25 or so um, contractors who derive a full-time income installing our products. So it gives you a bit of a sense of our size. We're not large, um, but we have a pretty large footprint. So we're a small business doing kind of big business things, which makes, makes for a, a challenge, but also an you know, exciting business to be a part of. Yeah, probably quite a good business too with that kind of activity on um, a, a few, uh, a, a small team. And then what's your supply chain? So you're mentioning that it's like 100% recycled supply chain. What kind of stuff are you pulling in to, to use? Yeah, so we um, we take recycled materials from all over the place. We, we do our best to try to utilise as much um, waste plastic and rubber that we can get out of New Zealand. Um, so waste PVC comes from all sorts of different places, but metal recyclers, um, we get uh, waste PVC from other plastics manufacturers like Fisher & Paykel, um, Baxter's Healthcare, um, and we, we, we collate this material and, and that's what we use to kind of chip up and then, you know, put our kind of special spices into the recipe to make our product. Um, we do at times have to get um, recycled PVC and rubber from overseas, which is not, you know, not the, not the greatest kind of business model and not something that we, we aim to do, but it's just a case of, you know, needing, needing product when you need it. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's ultimately what the, the supply chain looks like. Um, and, you know, we, we're constantly on the lookout for, um, you know, channels or um, supply chains of, of good um, recycled PVC. Um, there's a real challenge in making sure that, you know, with recycling, it's getting that real consistency of supply. Um, because if you're getting lots of different things, then you, it becomes an unknown around quality. So we spend a lot of time um, testing um, materials that come in and making sure that are really comfortable with what's in them and, and how well they're going to perform out in the sun over 10 years um, or longer, you know. So um, that process that process is longer. But when we can establish like a really secure supply chain of a consistent feedstock, then we're away laughing, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, tell us about one of your consistent feedstocks, uh, the, 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 the ubiquitous road cone. Yes, yeah. So the road cone journey for our house, for us has been fantastic. Um, we were approached by Fulton Hogan about 12 months ago um, and they came to us with this problem. We got, hey, we've got all these road cones um, that come to the end of their operative life. You know, they they begin their life as a nice shiny road cone, but in time they fade in the sun and get tar on them and and whatnot, and and so they no longer become compliant with the safety standards. And so road, um, so Fulton Hogan had this, um, you know, a whole bunch of road cones, um, and you know, it, it, 
hats off to them for going, there must be a better way. They weren't wanting to send it to, to landfill. So they approached us with the, you know, the question, hey, can you guys utilise these road cones in your product? And we took, took them away and thought about it and did some tests and you know, granulated them up and um, put them into UV testing facilities and, and started working with it. And in time, yeah, we, we developed a formulation um, to use these road cones in our tiles. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's really just kind of taken off, the, taken off for us and been a really um, a, a great journey for our business and for Fulton Hogan and to be kind of partnering at that level to take a safety product that otherwise was destined for landfill and um, turn it into a new safety product that will, you know, do another job for another 10 years at least. It's kind of wild as a society how much effort we put into things that then just go into landfill, like how much, yeah. how many resources and how much work and, you know, they're, they're, they're very energy dense, these things, like yeah. uh, there's been, <laughs> there's, there's so much in them that can be reused and so little is. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, as I mentioned before, recycling isn't always an easy thing to do because of that kind of the standards that you're looking for and the consistencies. But there are, you know, there's so many amazing people out there recycling and doing incredible things. I was just um, talking to my business partner yesterday about someone who's recycling old um, uh, pool toys, PVC pool toys, and creating handbags out of them. Um, that's fantastic. And, and people have these amazing ideas. And yeah, you're right. There's a lot of material out there that a lot of energy went into producing that actually have um, some really like uh, benefits to them. You know, there's um, structural benefits to these products that can be utilised and and made into something new. Um, so yeah, we're really pleased to be on, on that journey with our recycled products. And where do you see this going next? Because I imagine if you're doing seventy five percent of export and then you know, it's not just a New Zealand problem that mm. there's mountains of PVC that's going to landfill that could otherwise be reused. Yeah. Like, would you have factories overseas or what What, what would the, like, the journey be? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a conversation we've, we've been having and a question we get asked quite a bit, you know, especially even with the road cones, for example, we've had a lot of, um, you know, other um, engineering companies and, and roading companies approach us from all over the world saying, hey, I hear you guys are recycling road cones. <laughs> and um, the problem for us now is like, well, unfortunately, we're in New Zealand, so we, you know, we can take New Zealand road cones, but um, you know, there's not really a, a strong case to, to bring road cones in from overseas. Um, so then the next question becomes, well, can we move our recycling efforts into other offshore markets? Um, I mean, that would be an exciting journey. I think part of, you know, one of Matter's values or the kind of premise of what we do and our vision for the company is to keep manufacturing in New Zealand. Um, it's very tempting, you know, if you just look at the numbers, it can be quite tempting to go, hey, we can go do this elsewhere, you know, Vietnam or China or even the United States. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the legacy of the company and, and, and where we will want to take it is keep manufacturing in New Zealand. Um, but hopefully, you know, um, through our story and through the efforts of many other recyclers, that there will be more businesses coming out that will be thinking of ways to utilise waste PVC or waste plastic streams in their own markets. So, um, yeah, ne I mean, never say never. It would be quite exciting to be doing recycling offshore as well. But, um, but first, we're looking after our home camp here in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. What has the impact been that the company's been able to have over the years? 
Well, I'm, yeah, look, the recycling thing's huge. I mean, even um, even this road cone journey with Fulton Hogan, I think, you know, in the last 12 months, we've recycled about 80 tonne of road cones, you know, and um, we can't get enough of them. We'd love to do more. So um, from a numbers perspective, it's great to have recycled a lot of a lot of PVC. Um, but, you know, more than that, well, not necessarily more than that, but an, another aspect of that is, um, you know, it's great to be creating a product that just enables kids to have fun. Like, I love that about what we do. Um, you know, I'm a father of two kids and um, we, we're going out to playgrounds most weekends. Can't say we're always going to playgrounds where our product is. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a prerequisite. But um, it's always really satisfying to see kids running around, kind of exploring their abilities and and having a hoot on on a product that's made here in New Zealand, so that's that's really satisfying. And to me, it's a you know that's a really huge impact and um, for our business, and be great for you know um, for New Zealand business too. Um, and probably the third thing would be um, you know the impact of business on people's lives. It's great to be you know be employing people, um, and especially in a community like Otaki, you know, um, we've we've got people who've been with the company for. You know, um, for decades now, and um, and you know that's the that's the impact of of a sustainable business on on people's livelihoods as well, which is is super satisfying and, and a real um, uh, you know a privilege to be a part of. What's special or different or particular about being part of a multi generational family business? Yeah, it was really like it's something I've pondered a lot. Um, you know, stepping into the business. Um, I thought of, you know, sometimes you kind of struggle with the idea of nepotism or like, am I here because I'm my father's son type thing. But at the same time, um, I was blessed with this great opportunity to sort of learn business through osmosis. You know, I, I spent a lot of time traveling with my old man, even as a kid. You know, I remember, you know, being a 10 year old sitting in the office of of some school district in California and <laughs> hearing these negotiations go on. And you go, wow, it's like really lucky to have done that. Um, and so I learned a lot that way. Um, you know, and, and the generational thing, you know, I think there's a real um, there's a real legacy to the business through what Murray had done, through his vision, um, the way my my old man and his business partner took that on. Um, and and now that's coming through into this next generation, myself and my, my business partner Dylan. We, um, you know, it's just this kind of this flow that has come from other people's work, and that you're picking up, and then you're going, okay, cool. What do we need to do as a business to to make this thing succeed over the next thirty years? So, yeah, look, coming into a family business has its challenges. Um, I think also, you know, you're. You're steering the ship that's been steered by someone else. You go, mate. I want it, I want this thing to to go well, um, and so there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. But um, it's ultimately it's been it's been a great journey for me so far. Yeah, and it's kind of analogous to to our Maori v- values of intergenerational thinking, but yeah. also the, the the space that all of us are in when we inherit, you know, a world, and we yeah. have to think about the people that had it before and how we look after it for the next lot as well, hey? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's totally right. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I'm not well, like, um, trained in the history of this, but, you know, if you think about going back a few hundred years, like, a lot of, you know, if, if your father was a baker, you're a baker. <laughs> um, or, you know, um, that, that type of mentality. And, and it's something, I think there's a lot of pressure on our generation now to be... Um, forging something new 
and, you know, um, paving your own way. And all that is totally, totally admirable, 100%. Um, but I do, yeah, I've come to see there's a real value in legacy as well and, um, and learning from what it is that um, the people before you have done, like either in your own whānau or, or wider in your community and kind of taking that. And, you know, and I'm totally alive to the fact that I've, I've been, I've come across an awesome opportunity and not everyone has that same opportunity as well. So, um, you know, I'm very alive to that one and want to do the best with it, yeah. And as a kind of final thought, what will success be for you and for Matter? It's a good question. I think, um, you know, success uh, for me has a few things. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before, I want to stay in New Zealand. I think success for us is remaining a New Zealand-based manufacturing company. Um, and so we're doing everything we can to protect our business model to make sure that flies and works. So that's one thing. Um, you know, Matter was birthed um, out of this innovation, you know, and... Um, and I would say that to continue in the, in the surfacing market will be, does require innovation. And so kind of pushing forward in that area around materials, around product design, um, around compliance with safety standards, all of that um, is, it will be, is another gauge of success for us. Um, yeah, that, you know, they're the main things. We have, we have a view to grow our business as well. Um, we're not looking to dominate the world, you know, with um, multi-figure, you know, growth over the years, but we do have aspirations to grow our markets. And so that, again, is another yardstick for success for us is that we're, you know, we're, we're pioneering new markets and, and growing our, our reach. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. And ultimately, you know, personally, um, I want to see the business do well for my own family. Um, I'd love to be able to leave the business in a, a better state than when I picked it up. Um, that. And so being able to do that was certainly another yeah, yardstick, if you will, of success. Ah, that's so cool. Thank you so much for coming and sharing the story and can't wait to see where you take it next. That's Brent Harris of Matter. Thanks, Simon. Cheers. Thank you to Brent Harris. Thank you to you for listening, having us in your ears. And for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.